Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Dirk Facer of the Deseret News coming up here momentarily. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what may come uh, in the college football world and what's kind of the latest around the Pac-12 and the University of Utah. This is not, I mean, it's never a good year to go through something like this, uh, Gordo, but uh, this is not a particularly good year for the Utes because they're turning over so many guys. I'm sure spring was going to be a really valuable time for that coaching staff and summer workouts and all of that that's now cut short. It's going to make life on the Hill a little more difficult than it needed to be. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, but, but at this point, I think these various coaches and players are, are just eager to play if they can do it safely. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, would this be a year where let's say your typical Ute fan would be upset if, if uh, Utah football, you know, let's say they play the twelve game schedule. If if the Utes were five hundred, would people complain about that, or would they be, just be happy to have been able to see some football? Oh, well, now there's an interesting question. Are you just grateful for having it, and who cares yeah. whether they win or lose? That's, that's I think it changed. Uh, yeah, this lens this lens changes everything as far as uh, the way a fan I think would look at this. There'd be a certain amount of just happy to have it, but in normal circumstances, I would tell you if they went 500, you'd fans would be grumpy. Yeah, yeah, but it's not normal. No, 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 it's not. So I don't know how that would balance, but I would guess some fans would still find a way to be grumpy. Yeah, yeah. Rightfully well, so or not. All right, yeah. let's uh, jump out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. He writes for the Deseret News. He's our good friend, Dirk Facer, with us back on the big show. Hi, Dirk. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you bet. Uh, it's fun to talk a little football, even though we don't know exactly what uh, that's going to look like. But Coach Whittingham did have a Zoom conference the other day and covered a number of different things. What were kind of the highlights to you? You know, I think the big thing that's going on is there's so much speculation right now. And I think the the best thing that I got out of what he said was, you know, let's, let's cool our heels, so to speak, wait a couple of weeks to see where everything sits because, uh, you know, they're talking about a six-week window at, at minimum to get a team ready to play a game. And so if you go six weeks back from the season opener, Utah-BYU, I think that's somewhere around July 23rd. And, uh, you know, there's speculation that kids need to be back in school this fall. There's speculation that some conference teams are able to play and others in other states aren't. There's so much uh, stuff, spaghetti being thrown against the wall. I don't think we're really going to know until, like Coach Witt said, maybe four to six weeks from now we'll have a little more clarity. Do you have an idea or at least a best guess as far as what the likely scenario will be? You know, listening to you guys, both made great points. Um, it vacillates back and forth, but I think uh, I think right now the goal is to get the season off on time, to not mess with the schedules. They have to have contingency plans because this uh, virus is obviously so unpredictable, and with the brief flare-ups in these states that are allowing people in early in that, 
you know, I really think it's just going to be a, a wait and see thing. But uh, you know, I guess I'm an optimist, thinking that you know they're going to try like heck with the TV contracts and all the money that's involved to get this thing off on time. I think moving it to spring and that, then you start affecting the NFL draft. You know, for some of the guys that are going to get drafted, really going to want to play in the spring. Um, you know, not have time to, you know, be healthy by the time the draft and the combine are all around, you move everything. But there's so many moving parts right now. So I guess optimistically I'm going to plan on a season starting on time if uh, the next four to six weeks uh, provide some clarity. But if if things are still kind of a mess, uh, I think all options are on the table. I've uh, seen some comments and heard some comments from Larry Scott, and they've seemed pretty optimistic about things. But it seems to me he's got a challenge that maybe the SEC doesn't have where what is possible in Utah and Arizona might not be so possible in California. How do you think they're going to handle that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, the the conference is doing these webinars, and they just had uh, Jonathan Smith from Oregon State on. And, you know, know, their Oregon governor, I think, is discouraging – uh, large gatherings until October, from what I understand. And, you know, he kind of gave the optimistic viewpoint that, you know, nothing's in concrete as far as that's concerned right now, and they're going to work through it and, for, you know, just sort of uh, move forward as if the season's going to start on time. So the Oregon situation's unique. Uh, you know, Arizona letting the professional athletes get back in full bore is one thing, but Herm Edwards from Arizona State was on there today, and he said, you know, student college athletes are different. They're student athletes, and parents are involved in these decisions. So you just can't make a blanket statement that, you know, all the colleges are back. So there's some moving parts there with parents. And then Chip Kelly was the other guy on the on the show today, or on the whatever they call it, webinar today. And you know, and he mentioned that, you know, UCLA uh, was not part of that uh, Cal system that decided they weren't going to. Do sports is false, so you know they're still up there. So there's a lot of people, a lot of speculation out there, and it still comes down to everybody just kind of waiting to see where the chips fall here. And uh, I don't think anyone knows right now. And I think honestly, these next this next month, seeing if the virus, you know, uh, the curve gets flattened, will say a lot. But I don't think any definitive things have affected the Pac-12. And you know, I don't know what you guys think, but. I just don't buy this uh, renegade thing where some schools will play, some won't. Because to me, if you don't play, you sit out this football season, it's almost akin to when SMU had to shut down. I mean, you're telling me that, you know, you could, anybody can make up ground, you know, losing a year. Let's just say if Oregon doesn't play and USC does or vice versa or Utah or whatever, any combination – can a team make up for not playing for a whole year? How long will it take them to recover? Will it be years for them to be competitive again? I think that needs to be factored in there. And I don't think any of the big boy schools are going to want to sit this one out uh, for fear of uh, being like Tennessee or a school like that that's irrelevant for a while after they were you know, such a big player in the game. I don't know. I, I just can't see. I just can't see it, to be honest. So, Dirk, I, I want you to harken back to your political science classes when you were in college, all right? 
Uh, when I get fast. those seeds, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happens if, let's say, California does have a directive in place that uh, against any kind of, uh, you know, a situation where it is discouraging uh, the possibilities for college football, what then what do the California schools do? I mean, if they're getting political pressure, you think they defy that? Is it even possible for them to defy that? You know, you're the California expert. I'm, I'm a guy that goes to Disneyland uh, quite often, but <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what they would do in that circumstance, or or maybe. Maybe they would be able to do it just without fans. But, man, you hear it's what's so weird about the college football scene right now. And you already described that everything's in the air and this thing is evolving. It's leaning this way. It's leaning that way. But when I see school presidents in the SEC saying, by golly, we're going to have football this fall and we're going to have fans in the stands, too. I mean, they're, they're acting as though they're, they're drawing that line in the sand and saying this is going to happen and we're going to make it happen. Uh, I, I, you don't, even though it's a, a huge money maker and it would be devastating not to play. I'm not hearing that so much for some of the schools out this way. No, I agree with you, and, and I think the California thing's very interesting. Obviously, you know the the four packs, uh, the you know Pac-12 schools, uh, they're in California. You know, two are private, two are public, and uh, you know it remains to be seen. I, I do think. Uh, Playing in front of smaller crowds, I've seen, you know, I've seen just about, and I'm sure you guys have too. There's articles and theories that abound everywhere on this, but you know, the maybe crowds would be limited in inside the 15 or 20,000 or whatever. But you know, we haven't even got to that point really in the nation of having crowds that big for anything. But um, you know, I I just really, I just cannot envision a world where. The Pac-12 would play football, and UCLA and Cal would sit it out. Because I don't know how many years that would, you know, one year of not playing, I think, could be akin to several years trying to get back on. And the money is so great that I think uh, playing in front of no crowds is better than uh, sitting it out. And uh, it's going to be interesting. But, you know, I think there's just so much speculation, guys, and it's fun to talk about that, but, you know, every time I listen to these coaches on the webinars or read these articles and that, you kind of come across with, that's interesting, but I'm not sure that guy knows exactly what he's talking about, you know, because there's, there's so many theories out there. And uh, Jake, I think you made a great point with the Mountain West. That's the conference that is kind of scary. You know, the Power Fives have the big TV contracts and all that, and there's a demand. But, uh, you know, for the Mountain West to have three of their schools basically – have their leadership uh, higher than the university, obviously, say they're not going to play. But, you know, the remarks out of San Diego State and Fresno on that indicate that they're trying to find a way to play football and continue. And anyone who's been to a game at San Jose State knows that uh, they could probably find an open field somewhere and play and have as many fans. So, Speaking of those finances, Dirk and Dirk Facer of the Deseret News with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Any word on how the Utah Athletic Department is faring financially? Have you heard any rumors of, you know, the people taking uh, the salary cuts or anything of those uh, of those rumors? You know what? I had that conversation with Mark Harlan recently, and uh, he indicated that uh, you know, I didn't get a direct answer on uh, 
furloughs or pay cuts or anything like that. I was told that they they were focused on finishing this fiscal year uh, strong, and apparently they managed their money well. And all indications I have is that you know they'll get through this fiscal year just fine. And I think it's it's just like football. I think they're in a holding pattern, uh, not a holding pattern, but it's kind of a wait and see approach to the next fiscal year because you lose that football revenue, it's going to affect every bottom line in the athletic department. But, uh, you know, I think there's contingency plans, but uh, no announcements, nothing imminent. I think it's kind of waiting and seeing if football kicks off as planned. And right now that's the optimistic approach that Mark Harlan has and Kyle Whittingham and, uh, Everyone seems to think that that's the way to go, but obviously there's a ton of speculation that this thing could, could turn a variety of directions. It's like watching a hurricane and the path it's going to head in, and you don't know which way it's going to turn. Uh, Dirk, Jake exactly. was talking earlier about how let's <laughs> let's paint a scenario where good news, the season is going to be played, but because of what's taking place right now, the Utes – with a whole lot of sort of restructuring to do with uh, some of the uh, attrition in their program from this last season, how bad will that hurt them competitively if uh, if if the season does come off? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you know replacing nine starters on defense uh, for any team—that's a big deal. And then you look at offense, you know, and they're losing the starting quarterback, starting running back. And they're starting left tackle. So they got some big holes to fill. And uh, thank goodness, uh, at least from Utah's perspective, that the Pac-12 South is kind of a mess because, you know, maybe you could still be competitive in that division despite losing nine starters on defense and three big studs on offense. So, you know, uh, I think USC looks like the team to beat in the South if everything goes off as planned. But, uh Given Utah's track record and the back-to-back division titles, uh, you got to figure they're going to be in the mix somehow. And, and I, I believe the USC game is in Salt Lake, so that uh, uh, could be interesting. But uh, boy, it'd be fun to start talking about that a little more than uh, than the spaghetti on the wall a little bit, wouldn't it? Dirk, I know there's really no information to base this opinion off of, but what does your gut tell you about the quarterback situation right now? You know, I kind of think uh, Jake Bentley, I don't think you start 32 games in South Carolina and transfer to Utah, grad transfer, to be the backup. I, I think Jake Bentley is probably going to be the guy. I think Cam Rising is uh, they're very high on him. And, you know, the interesting thing is Drew List's name keeps coming up, whether the uh, coaches are uh, kind of uh, enamored with his play. Uh, but, you know, I think it really comes down to the two transfers and probably Jake Bentley, given his resume, is, is, will be the guy to start the season out. But, uh, heck, it's almost like anything these days, guys, you never know. How about the running back situation? That's, a, that's uh, you know, you got Brumfield and uh, Wilmore that uh, they'll probably battle it out. They, they don't have a Zach Moss, that's for sure. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a work in progress. I don't think you're necessarily going to see a thousand yard rusher, but 
you know, this may shock you, but I've been wrong before, and a lot of us sports writers and sportscasters and broadcasters have been wrong a time or two, but... Uh, you know that's gonna. I think that's gonna be a work in progress, and and somebody's gonna need to step up when the the bright lights are on to, to do it. But right now, you know, Zach Moss had so many carries last year and the last four years really that uh, you wonder how much uh, development took place behind him. All right, Dirk. Last thing from me, and I've got a very specific question for you. But I got to put a softball right over the plate, would you? Oh, okay. this this is going to be totally easy for you. But I, <laughs> I do. I, I've got to I've got to set this up a little bit. So I'm going to play uh, a piece of tape for you. This is actually from Joe Ingles' podcast, but it's Aaron okay. Falk who used to write for the Trib. And yes, I know him uh, well. The, he's he tells a story about Gordon, and I have a, a specific question to ask you about it. But let me play the the tape first. Here you go. You got it. Eventually got into sports because I really liked um, writing feature stories, just telling stories of people's lives. And did you uh, ever write one on me? You know, I think Gordon Monson came in and swooped in. He's like, "I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna take care of this. One. <laughs> I'm gonna, Aaron. I think I got an idea." Um, All right. Now, when we played this for Gordon, he said it wasn't swooping, but that sometimes beat writers get a little bit protective, and that's just what columnists kind of do. So, my question for you is. How often did Brad Rock swoop your stories? You know, the Rock Monster and I, we knew where the line was. We, we, he was always very supportive in that. It was always Gordon that was coming in and taking my thunder. You know, he takes my Sports Writer of the Year awards away and wins them and, and, and stuff like that. But, you know, you know there's, for us old guard in the, in the business, Gordon, you probably can attest to that. We kind of know where the lines are, don't we? I mean, we kind of respect this is his domain, this is his domain. And, you know, Aaron was kind of new to the, the biz, uh, sports writing, but uh, I think we all get along pretty good. And it's uh, it's a different world. But uh, I, I would like that trophy back, though, Gordon. <laughs> well, Dirk, I, see, I knew you. I thought I got. I thought you were going <laughs> to answer that way uh, because – as I mentioned earlier, Jake, even though you guys try to drive a wedge between, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Dirk Fraser. I, I, I literally do not know anyone who doesn't like him. So it'd be easy for Brad to, you know, respect him enough to be able to try and find that line of which Dirk was speaking. Now, an wow. SOB like me might not know where that line is sometimes, but uh, we, 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 do try, do. <laughs> we, do, we do try to be respectful, that's for sure. We're all on the same team. I even looked at that way, Dirk working for the Desert News and me working for the Salt Lake Tribune, people want to create all this, that, and the other. I'm rooting for Dirk to, to, to do great work, man, and he does, so I, uh, I'm happy. That's kind of it. No, I think there's I think there's a brotherhood there, but uh, you know it. Uh, I do miss the Rock Monster since he's retired. He was kind of kind of my guy at work. I hung out with, but uh, we communicate a lot. But uh, you know, Gordon's been a good friend, and then there's a lot of good guys in this business. Okay, so uh, I know that inform inform our audience real quick. How's Brad doing? Is he doing well? He's doing well. We talked good. quite a bit on the phone, and he's. Uh, He's enjoying it. I'm I'm a little jealous, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> I'm also a little younger, which is nice. So, <laughs> I I know that you guys at the Des News get along with the the guys at the Trib. I I see it every day. But my question to you is, if there were like an anchorman style of brawl between the two staffs, <laughs> who who would come out on top? 
Gordon's awful savvy. He'd be tough over there on the trip team. Um, you know, gosh, that's a good question. You know, Jody, Jody is a... Jody was doing triathlons for a while, so he could fight on the land or sea or on a bicycle. So he might be our guy. Boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that I, really I, got out of hand fast. I'd be over. You know, I'd be over in the corner hiding. That's where I'd be probably. Hey, if you guys want a good laugh, if you get, I know you got to get rid of me and get somebody good on. But uh, the one-minute cinema the guys do earlier in the day is about as funny as it gets. Don't encourage them. One on Rocky too. they did that you've got to listen to. It's it's great. (laughs) I've definitely heard it. I keep pushing for it to be played often. Well, we'll see what we can do. We we play random stuff, humiliating those guys all the time, so maybe we'll. (laughs) They stole that idea from us, right, Dustin? I was going to say, whoever came up with that idea, genius. <laughs> I love it. Is that yours, Austin? That no, was, I would never say idea. such a thing, no. I, no, ca- I, I, called, it. I called it movies I... in a minute, but whatever. <laughs> well, it, it, it makes, this, makes this old guy laugh, and I enjoy it. So. <laughs> well, thanks, Derek. Thanks, as always, for jumping on. Keep up that good work. Thanks for having me on, and you guys do a great job. Thank you. Thank you, you, Dirk. The great Dirk Facer from the Deseret News covering the Utes and, of course, good friend of ours. Who do you think would win so, in that type of brawl, Gordon? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. See, some tells me you guys would be a disadvantage now that Craggs is gone. I bet he would have been salty. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, he'd pull out that five iron and start swinging it around. It would be a lot of want to, I feel like, in yeah. Craggs in a brawl. Craggs looks like the guy that goes to the, uh, the local uh, basketball run at the gym in rollerblade pads. Right. Because yeah, he's going to inflict some pain. It's going to happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Two things I got out of that discussion with, uh, with Dirk. One is there are some very determined people out there to play football this, uh, this fall. And the second thing is that nobody knows nothing about nothing yet. Nope. It, it would appear that way. So I think everybody's still in a holding pattern. That was why one of the bigger pieces of news yesterday was that Silver is going to make up a decision about the NBA in two to four weeks. So at least we have, I mean, uh, even that is not much of a timeline, right? That's a, that's a pretty big gap, but at least it's something like, hey, here's what we're doing. Well, we're learning to be patient. Uh, and uh, these, these are decisions they have to get right. I mean, I understand the, the the financial side of all of this, and I and I get how important that is, and people's livelihoods and all that. I, I get that, but I also understand that ultimately, if there if there is a second wave, and it is devastating for people, then there's got to be the right decision made heading in with the best information available at the time these decisions are made, and. If it turns out to be a different scenario than what is expected or hoped for, then they'll have to be uh, adjustable again and on their toes and and ready to do what's necessary in order to keep the public uh, safe. All right, we'll get to more coming up right around the corner. Don't forget David Locke at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
Monson, and Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st Century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Hey, Gordon, we uh, we talked where uh, Carl Malone and John Stockton came in on the all-time NBA. Uh, what were they doing, the top 74? And I, I believe you had found a, a similar list with uh, CBS Sports, if I'm not wrong. Yes. Uh, you ready for ESPN's top 10? Let's hear it. And I'm curious because you, uh, you I think, have covered all of these uh, players in your career. Uh, that I'm curious if you agree with the list. You ready? Yep. Number 10. Shaquille O'Neal. Number nine, Kobe Bryant. Number eight, Tim Duncan. Number seven, Larry Bird. Number six, Wilt the Stilt. Number five, Buck Johnson. Number four, Bill Russell. Number three, Kareem. Number two, LeBron. And numero uno, his airness. You know, it is so hard to argue a list like that. Uh, But the more we try to do this kind of thing, the more disillusioned I become with with uh, I mean, I have no problem with people compiling the lists and making the comparisons. You and I have done this ourselves. But as far as the accuracy of it, it, it almost just becomes an exercise to be an exercise to talk about it and to think about how great these guys are. Because all of them, many of them have played at different times where the game was a certain way and then it changed to a different way. But that list of names that you just read off there, wow. I mean, and it sounds like it's a disrespect to those who aren't on that list or who are farther down the list. But to me, it doesn't do that anymore. There's no disrespect in that list at all. Those are fantastic players, each and every one. Now, I know you don't think Shaquille O'Neal was much of a basketball player. He was dominant. He de- he deserves to be on this list. He was dominant like few others. But was he actually good at basketball? Did he have basketball skills? No. Well, that's not the only thing that comes into play with, to make a great basketball Ag- player. Agreed. That's he, why I didn't. I, yeah. I, I was fine with Shaq. At Although 10. I am, I am shocked to hear you say that, Austin. Is that it's, not a little surprise? It's beyond ridiculous. I don't even need to comment. It really is absurd. The basic skills of basketball, <laughs> Shaq did not possess. Greatest ever at his position. He just period. happened to be the size of of the arena and could move like a gazelle. And you why know, is that his problem? It's not his problem. It and just, why is that, to, if to be that size and move like a gazelle, that's phenomenal. He was a dominant basketball player. He just wasn't good at basketball. That I makes know, no sense. I don't know why this He's is He's a so good hard. driver, but he doesn't drive well. Huh? Hmm. He does not possess What are you talking about, good sir? Good basketball hey, hey, skills. Hey, Austin, Austin, it's time to play the drop from the yeah. incriminating audio. What drop? You don't even disagree with me. I'm just saying. Uh, I agree with you, Gordon, but then we'd both be right. I, the, the one I think, and, and this might not be the most popular opinion, but I think Tim Duncan at eight is too low. When you say too low, you mean too high or too I low? I think he should be ranked higher, uh, closer to number one. A better, it's a bad ranking for him? Correct. He deserves better? Oh, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Read the names in front of him again. All right, I'll even, okay, Michael Jordan, I'm fine with him at number one. LeBron's too high at number two. 
Kareem's about right at three. Russell, sure, four. You would know that better than me. Buck, way too high at five. Uh, let's see here. Wilt, six, maybe a little too low. Larry Legend at seven, probably about right. Tim Duncan at eight, too low. Kobe at nine, about right. Shaq at ten, probably I, about right. I, I just don't know where you're going to put Tim Duncan uh, in, as far as those names that are in front of him. All of those are f- great, great players who are in front of him, so I don't know where you're going to move him up to. And if we ask this question, well, we did ask this question to Mark Eaton a number of years ago, and Mark, I'm sorry if I'm putting words in your mouth or suggesting something that you may have changed your mind on, but I had this very conversation with him once, and he would have Wilt Chamberlain higher than he is because he thought Wilt was just at the top. Well, he was like he was like Shaq in the sense that he was absolutely dominant, right? I mean, for whatever reason, he dominated the game for a significant period of time. And again, it was in his time period, and I don't know what Wilt would do. Wilt was was <laughs> he was he was pretty unbelievable. I mean, scoring a hundred points in a game. I know that's not a benchmark that you can rely on as far as overall ability goes, but I don't know how many guys could really do that. And he he was just, for his time, he was off the charts. Well, why is Kobe at nine? Don't you guys think that that's a little disrespectful? Put Kobe higher? I think he's like the third best ever to do it. I'd probably put him ahead of Magic. I don't know if I'd put him at three. That's where he'd be for me. That's kind of one of those ongoing debates is uh, who, who, which of, who, which Lakers are, should be at the top of that list. And uh, I've heard it go back and forth in that regard. Uh, and I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer. And, and I saw both those guys play uh, for the entirety of their careers. And uh, I, I think they're both great. That's why I don't have a large, any kind of huge problem here with the ranking. Because I don't see it as a disrespect. I, just to be in this crowd is, is remarkable. Uh, uh, remarkable. Kobe, I, man, I tell you, I can argue with myself, and I could probably argue either point, having him higher or not. There, there was a five- to eight-year period where he and Tiger Woods were the most dominant people on the face of the planet that weren't political. Well, don't leave out uh, Roger Federer. Okay. Let's not ignore tennis. Tennis is a sport, too. Sure. Thanks. But fine. But uh, Kobe's better than Federer. At his gig, than Federer was at his. Oh, big false on that. Nah. Oh, that is Federer. Even... Federer, you can discuss as maybe one of the best of ever, but not the best. Ever. Oh no, no, no. He's the go. Serena's better than him. Oh well, women's men's. As far what, as what? what? You're gonna draw a line? Oh uh, no, not necessarily. It's just a different sport. <laughs> yeah, it is it's different. the same sport. No, it's a different no, sport. It's different. Men's yeah. tennis and women's tennis is definitely. Different they have different sport. rules. Uh, it's just a different, different equipment. It's a different endeavor. It's a I mean, it, yeah. It's a different game. It's the same sport, it, just played by different genders. True, but it makes right, it into a different game. Different. Same rules, same equipment. Okay, well, if for the sake of this argument, women's and men's tennis are different sports, and Roger is the goat of men's tennis. I I agree with Jake on that. And I actually don't even know if it's necessarily close. You think Federer's better at tennis than Kobe was at basketball? Yes. Yeah, I do. Oh wow. Yeah. And more A couple of covers here talking to me about tennis and country club sports. 
Oh, Roger's just amazing. Plus, I mean, not very many men's tennis players win the Grand Slam, and he's done that. How many championships did Kobe win? Uh, five. Five? And how What's many? harder to do? Win a Grand Slam or, in tennis? Or win five NBA titles? Grand Slam in tennis. You think so? Yeah. How many men's tennis players have even won the Grand Slam? It's like three. But is it a harder thing to do than win five NBA titles is the question. Well, more well, than three people have won five look, NBA titles. At, sure, but that's a team sport. But it is a team sport. And what was Kobe doing when he didn't have Shaq or Pau Gasol? Not making the playoffs. Right? Federer did it all on his own. Well, he had to. It's an individual sport. That's that's also an argument I think you can make for Tim Duncan, that Tim did it on teams that weren't necessarily super teams. You're discounting Tony Parker? No, I think he and Manu were both really, really good, but I mean... Could Tim have done that on any other team in the league? Like, you take Tim Duncan off the Spurs, put him on the Suns, are they NBA title? Or NBA champs? Probably. Put him on any team in the league? Well, that's, I think that's you, not you, true you take Kobe, anybody. You take Kobe, his prime, and put him on a different team in the league, they win the title. I don't know about any like, team in the league. I think that's a little talking about, Yeah, You're not going to put, as I said, when, when the Lakers didn't have Pau Gasol and then they pulled off that, that trade, thank you, Jerry West, um, then suddenly Kobe was a champion again. But was Kobe's numbers bad before Pau Gasol came around or was his team around him bad? No, but you're using but that's championships the point. as the sole measure. No, no. I'm, I'm, when we're talking between he and Roger Federer, I'm asking if the Grand Slam's easier or harder than to win five NBA titles. Well, that's an impossible question to answer. But, but obviously Kobe couldn't do it without the right people around him. Same like because Magic Johnson. Could, because he, Right. I mean, that's what makes it so difficult. But you were using that as your justification. So, I, obviously, <laughs> they're both I put more. I put more weight in an NBA title than the Grand Slam, but that's just me. Well, there are four. one NBA title. No, five NBA titles. Okay, I thought you over said one Grand Slam, NBA. which is four majors, right? Interesting how modern tennis has been so dominant. Gordon, uh, uh, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic have all won the career Grand Slam. Roger has twenty Slam wins. Rafa nineteen, Djokovic seventeen. So that's pretty amazing. But before that, uh, Andre Agassi had won the Grand Slam. And he had a total of eight throughout his career. And Did Sampras win the Grand Slam? No, nope. Sampras never won the French. And uh, before that, Rod Laver was the one who did it mm-hmm. before that. And that's basically it. Born Bjorg never did? Nope. Did, did Laver do it all in the same year? Laver, I think, is the only one who's done it all in the same yeah. year. Borg never won, uh, Austin, just so you know. He never won the Australian or the French. Did, or no, the Australian or the U.S. Open. While well, well, I'm thinking, did Tiger do it all in one year one time, didn't he? They called it Tiger no, it Slam Tiger. because That's it was right. between two years. That's right. That was the big argument is who was more dominant in this sport, Tiger or Federer. And over a period, it was Federer. It was Federer. Who has sold more watches? Going with Federer. <laughs> was, did, did Tiger have a big watch sponsorship? Because no, I know I just, Federer did the Rolex <laughs> thing, right? Oh, I thought it was tag here. Is it Rolex? Oh, was that it? it could See, be it's just here. a watch to me. Yeah. Gordon knows so go the difference. Through, let's, let's go through that list one more time. Let, Ten through one. And let's just think about it. Okay, here, hold on. Let me. Who, who's 11? Time. Who's 11 and 12? Who's getting left out? All right. Uh, Carl was at 17, just so people... Uh, John was 27, I believe, wasn't yeah. it? 
something like that. Uh, Jerry West was 16. Dr. J, 15. Uh, Kevin Durant, 14. Steph, 13. Hakeem, 12. Oscar Robertson, 11. Shaq, okay. 10. Kobe, 9. Uh, Tim Duncan, 8. Larry Bird, 7. Wilt Chamberlain, 6. Magic Buck Johnson, 5. Bill Russell, 4. Kareem, 3. LeBron, 2. Michael, 1. I'm not going to argue that list. I, I, I th- it's fast, fast company. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. So there you go. That's ESPN ranking the top Wouldn't it five. be better if they did this by era? Like the 10 best players in this era, the 10 best in that era, the 10 best in Probably, the it's, third era or whatever. Yeah, but it, it, it adds in, the, adds in the, uh, the recency bias versus the old timers, and that's what makes it fascinating to talk about. I'm just saying that there's no way to make it completely accurate. Nope, there's not. But it is fun to talk about, no doubt. All right, stay tuned. Do you tuned. think, let me, let me ask you this, Carl Malone at 17, Larry Bird at 7. Was there that much separation between those two? The other way, yeah. What do you mean? Carl, uh, Carl the, Larry second lead, the second leading scorer in the history of the league. Well, they're weighing championships, obviously, and Larry had yeah. more of those. I think you could but, argue Larry played on more better teams. This is what's so confusing to me, and I've you guys have heard me say this a thousand times. If Carl Malone was the best power forward of all time and John Stockton, as you guys, or at least Austin claims, is the best point guard of all time, if you have two of the all-time best players at their position, why aren't you winning a title? Because and don't say Michael Jordan, because okay. there, were, there were those years when Jordan Dick wasn't Pavetta. playing. And the Jazz couldn't knock off the Houston Rockets or Seattle. I don't think you could make an argument that Carl was the best power forward of all time if you consider Tim Duncan that, which I think most people do, unless yeah. you argue I, that unless you argue that he's a center. And when we argue with you about point guard, uh, we're not arguing that John Stockton's the best. We're arguing that it's not Magic Johnson. Oh no! I, but I'm also I say he's the okay fair enough purest point guard uh, to ever do it. Fair enough. I'm just saying it. It ain't. Magic. I just don't know what the hell pure means. What does that mean? I can't help you then. I don't know. Uh, g- give me, give me the player. Who you're the, the you're the writer. Yeah. That's that's the word. Remember, I'm the math. You're the words. Jake cleared that up earlier. Yeah, I think we pretty well answered that argument with uh, 21 out of 22 experts chiming in saying it was Magic Johnson. But were they considering LeBron at the time? Or, well, or Oscar did you, Robertson? Did you, I didn't. I didn't hear. I'm not hearing Jake. Uh, <laughs> I'm having a real difficulty. I, he's breaking up. On Even me, ESPN so. agrees with me that LeBron's a better point guard than Magic. <laughs> oh, oh, well, man. if ESPN thinks LeBron's it. at number two, Bucks at five. Yeah, like I said, it's fast company. There's no one being insulted here. Where's Isaiah Thomas? Uh, Zeke is behind right, John, he's actually. He's like 31 or something. Isn't he? He's in the 30s? Something along those They're lines. They're not watching The Last Dance, are they? Hmm. Let's see. John was at 28. Uh, Alan you said Iverson, 27 a second ago. Yeah, Alan Iverson at 29. I, I was wrong. Nash at 30. Zeke Thomas at 31. And Howard Isley is where? He's in the, he's in the uh, mid-30s. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, I'm not arguing. Do you have a big problem with it? Uh, no, I, t- I told you what I who I thought was too high and too low. Okay, but I'm talking about uh, are you 
outraged by any of those selections? Well, I, you know, it takes a lot to get me outraged these days, Gordon. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, I, it's not exactly how I, I would have done it. But sure, I mean, there's really no wrong answer. And, and, and just okay, so answer the question: How? Where do you put? What change do you make? I told you who I want thought it higher or lower. I'm not giving not you higher. Numbers. Where? Where I'm on the list? I'm not giving you, you numbers. Well, I moved Magic back into the 40s. <laughs> Here we go. 45, 46, wherever Howard Isley is, that's where I'd put magic. Yeah. <laughs> probably put I'd probably put LeBron somewhere in the late teens. You're so stupid. You you with your agendas. <laughs> what are you talking about? Kareem I'd probably put it uh I don't know, number two, yeah, probably somewhere in there. Maybe followed by Wilt. Okay, and then who's four? Uh, let's see. Why are you doing this? Because I want to know. Uh, not magic. You booted him down to Howard Isley territory. I Who, did. I'd probably put Bird around 53, 54. Maybe what? Tim, maybe Tim Duncan at three. Tim Duncan? Or four. Oh, man, really? I would disagree with that. You don't Jake's say. a fan of layups. <laughs> the big fundamental. Tim Duncan was awesome. And walking up and down the floor. He was very effective. Won a lot of games. Huh. So you got Duncan at four, and then who's at five? I don't know. We've got a uh, a partner profile coming up <laughs> look next. At, look at Jake. We're way we're like ten minutes over, Gordon. And we've All got right. Locke at the top of the five o'clock hour. Stay tuned, ninety seven five and twelve eighty of the zone. It is the big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, appreciate you making us a part of your day. You know, that anthem singer the other night was closer on her attempt than yours at, at analyzing Shaq's basketball career. You just know that I'm correct, and it, it bothers you. So far out of, not even close. Shaq was just big. He was just oh, big. He was dominant, but he wasn't good. Ridiculous statement. He was dominant, but he didn't have that. that no, makes no sense. We can't do this anymore. All right, it's time for a partner profile. David Locke joins us uh, coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour. But right now, we wanted to replay this. This was from Hanson Scotty, but this is uh, a really cool thing as we're kind of figuring out our way to get back to life in any way that we possibly can. Blake Anderson, president of Larry H. Miller Megaplex, was on with Hanson Scotty talks, uh, talking about some exciting steps they're taking. <laughs> It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. 
1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hans and Scotty, time for a, another partner profile. And Hans and I have said for the last two months that we've been in the middle of this thing that as soon as the Megaplex theaters are open and ready to go, it doesn't matter what movie it is. It doesn't matter if it's a movie that Hans and I would normally go to. We're buying a ticket. We're getting a tub of popcorn and we're sitting our big old butts right there in the in that theater ready to watch whatever because we can't get back to a theater fast enough. Well, joining us now, a little bit of good news. Blake Anderson, president of LHM Megaplex Theaters, kind enough to join us. Blake, how you doing? Hey, Blake. Very good. Scotty Hands, how are you guys? We're today? so good. We're doing well. We're doing really well now because I love what you're doing in terms of allowing people to get a little bit of a theater fix right now. What's uh, Talk about this new uh, family movie plan. Yes, this is kind of a, a gradual melting of our, our recent intermission, as you know. And uh, in our in select theaters at, at Megaplex, we're going to allow private family groups of 20 or less to to rent an auditorium and come in with people who who you feel comfortable with, the people who you're meeting with on for Sunday dinners and, and what have you, without anyone else in the auditorium and have a, a, a private screening. What kind of uh, what kind of movies are you looking at that, that could be available? Well, that's what's kind of cool is we have both recent Hollywood releases that were out, uh, you know, when we were uh, forced to close that you can come back and see. Or we have a, a, a pretty extensive list of classic family and uh, award winning movies. Uh, you could do, you know, all kinds of, of uh, fun classics that maybe is a family favorite. Uh, that we can bring back. We've, we've partnered with our studios and they've been very generous in opening up their vaults and letting us bring back uh, all kinds of fun movies. So, Blake, how, do, how does one get started to kind of organize this for their family? So, um, yeah, you can go to the Megaplex website or directly to our uh, event booker at jjolly at megaplextheaters.com. That's J-J-O-L-L-E-Y at megaplextheaters.com. And uh, our team will walk you through uh, what's available and at what theaters and uh, kind of walk you through what kind of movies you'd like to see with your family. And we'll get a book for you. Uh, it includes a, a private uh, a theater and then a bucket of popcorn and a, and a large drink for every individual. So you don't have to worry about sharing or anything else. And uh, it should be a real good time and uh, a gradual way for us all to get back to some normalcy. As, as you said, Scotty, we all want to get back into the theaters. So very exciting. There's uh, Blake Anderson, who's president of Larry H. Miller Megaplex, and this is kind of their way of of loosening things a little bit and keeping things safe and getting their toe back into the movie world, which is uh, which is great. And they can kind of figure out how to proceed from here. But fun opportunity uh, for your families out there. Yeah, that's uh, that's good to have people be able to enjoy something like that. Uh, what uh, when's your next choice in the movie rotation at the Monson household? Oh, I don't know. I've I've been sitting back a little bit. Um, last night watched um, Bombshell, the story about Roger Ailes at uh, Fox News and his demise. And uh, what else? We watched um, Just Mercy. Have you seen that one? I have not. That was an uh, interesting look. Uh, at uh, a court case in Alabama and an attorney that was trying to do some good down there. 
And then uh, I don't know. It's, it's so I've been I've been sitting back and letting other people make some selections. If it were me, I'd be watching the old classics, you know, because I want my my kids to be educated about that kind those kinds of things. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to our good friend David Locke. Stay tuned, ninety seven five and twelve eighty of the zone.